Oh, anyway. We are a culture that struggles with loneliness. Here's in a book called Bowling Alone, a Harvard professor kind of outlined this issue that we as a culture deal with. He looked at the decline of friendships and relationships over the course of 25 years. Now, listen to a few of these numbers as I make that claim that we are a culture that struggles with loneliness. Playing cards together is down 25%. Playing cards together is down 25%. Spending an evening with neighbors is down 33%. Family dinners down also 33%. Having friends over is down 45%. These are all things, by the way, that I remember as I grew up, I remember these being just foundational weekly in our home, things that we would do as a family. But this Harvard professor, in his book, he writes through his research that all of these things are down 25 to 45% in the average American home today. A recent issue of the American Sociological Review looked at social isolation in America. And it concluded that the average American, now think about your own life, the average American only has two close friends, which is down from three since 1985. Now, now you think about this. Let me make a little joke here, okay? So get ready to laugh. All right. You think about this. There are billions of people in the world today, and only two really like you. I mean, think about that. And it's going down. This is sad. It's funny whenever, whenever I say it that way. It's kind of, you know, when I, when I think about my own life, and billions of people, only two people really like me, I'd, I'd say only one, and she has to like me. Um, but when you... <laughs> it was in the vowels, Margaret. It's there. But, uh, but when you think about it, and you, kinda, you, start to dig, you start to dig through that. If that's actually true, it's very, very sad that in our culture today, there's really only, we only have two close friends and that that number is declining. And with technology improving the way it is, I see that number going down even more. That's why I say we are a culture that struggles with loneliness. Additionally, they found through research that 25% of Americans have no one to confide in. I mean, really confide in with, with deep truths of their lives to really be known and to let someone else know them. 25% of Americans have no one to confide in. Life is hard and I have no one to talk to. I need counsel, there's no one to ask. I'm struggling, and there's no one to help me. What's more, 80% of Americans, they found, 80% of Americans only confide in their family. Now you think about this. Well, my wife's in the room with my, my family. You think about this, though. 80% of Americans only confide in their families. Our families are generally the ones that drive us nuts the most, aren't they? I mean, come on. No? Okay, that's only two of you, judging from the laugh. Um, loneliness seems to be an epidemic in our culture today. 
People are disconnected. People are isolated. People are lonely. And that's just the way the world is. It's becoming the norm in our society today. And so I say we are a culture that struggles with loneliness. And then you have to ask the question, why? Why is it that people are so lonely? And I think the answer is because, if you haven't heard this before, we are made for relationship. You heard this before. Anybody? Yeah, we're, we're made for relationship. That's the way we are created, the way we are designed, because we are created in the image of God. God is Trinitarian in nature. That means that in the very nature of God, there is love, there is community, and there is relationship. And God has made us in His image and His likeness. What that means is that we are built for relationship. We are built for community. We are built for knowing others and letting others know us. But it's very, very difficult... When we desire relationship, when we desire community, and the people around us don't have that same desire to open themselves up to relationship and to community. Or when we realize this, this lack of relationship that we have, this lack of community, and this, this need, this hunger to know others and to be known by others, but we don't know how to open up and to truly enter into relationship. We turn back to, to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God made everything, and He pronounced it what? Very good. He said it's very, very good, with the exception of one thing. God looked down after He had created man. He looked down at Adam, and He said it is not Good. It is not good for man to be alone. So looking down at this first man, God takes the first man, he creates from him the first woman. Adam looks at her and he says, whoa, man. And we had woman. You've heard that. Come on. And then you have Adam and Eve, and they're married to one another, and suddenly in this marriage, in this relationship, loneliness is cured. But then in Genesis 3, something happens. Right? We talked about this last week. Something happens in Genesis 3. Everything was perfect in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve are together. There is no loneliness only joy, but then in Genesis 3 we read about Adam and Eve sinning against God, disobeying God, doing what he had told them not to do. And then for the first time, Adam and Eve experienced loneliness because sin separated them from God. They hide from God in their shame. Sin separated them from one another because they hid from one another in their nakedness, in their shame. And loneliness, for the first time, had its effect in the world. You see, because the effect of sin is that it disconnects us from God and from one another. Amen? Those of you who have ever sinned, right? You know that sin separates you from God and you feel that, that, that guilt start to set in. 
Those of you who have followed Jesus for a while, let's, let's see your hands. Follow Jesus. Don't be ashamed of this. Come on now. Those of you who have followed Jesus for a while, when you mess up and you sin, you feel that, that shame settle into your guts. And you hesitate going back before this holy, righteous, awesome God because you know that you have fallen short of the, the perfection, the glory that He has called you to. See, that's the Holy Spirit working in our life. That's another sermon for another day. But I say again, the effect of sin is that it separates us from God and it separates us from one another. It leads to distrust with God and with others. That's why we struggle so very much with loneliness because we are separated from God and we are separated from one another. That's why the world has such a, an ongoing battle with loneliness because there is still sin in our world today. And so I say again, we are a culture that struggles with loneliness. And that is because we are a people plagued by sin. Anytime there's sin, there is loneliness. Let me say that again. Anytime there is sin, there is loneliness. Because sin leads to separation and sin leads to death. So really, as we get to Philippians 1, we find the, the cure, the answer for our struggle with loneliness. That answer we're going to find as we dive in Philippians 1 verse 2 this morning, the answer to that is to make Jesus the central focus, the, the, the center of all of our relationships. The Apostle Paul, as he writes about in, in Philippians 1, as he writes this letter, he calls it a gospel Partnership. Say that with me. Gospel partnership. So turn, if you haven't already, to Philippians 1 in your Bible, in the Pew Bible, or on the Bible app this morning. Philippians 1, we're going to pick up in verse 2, which is where we left off last week. Now, Paul is a guy who should be absolutely depressed. Paul is a guy that should be without any hope in his current situation. He has nothing that we would seek in our culture today to cure loneliness. He has no wife, no kids, no home, no home church. He's not close to any people. His friends are in a far off, another town, far away from him. He's writing this letter to these friends of his. But these friends that he writes about, he doesn't have all that much in common with them. They're married, he's single. Most of them have kids he does not. They're at home, they're at work, they're going through their life. He is in jail. And yet Paul writes this letter as a friend and he talks to them about this immense joy that he has. And he, taught, he writes to them about how every day he rejoices along with them. Philippians 1 verse Two, and I'll read through verse 11. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, Paul writes. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. 
He writes, it is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have had you in my heart, for whether I am in chains or defending or confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, he writes in verse 9, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and in depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and to the praise of God. Can I get an amen? amen. Let's just walk through these, uh, these, these verses together. Paul opens this letter... We, we covered verse 1 last week by addressing himself and, and telling them about him as a saint, but also as a servant of Jesus Christ. Now then, he opens this up by saying, grace and peace to you. God is a God of grace, and aren't you glad he is? We are sinners, but God is gracious to us. We sin, God convicts us, but when we repent, God is gracious with us. That is undeserved favor, unmerited love that He pours down upon us, and the result of God's grace is peace. Grace and peace to you. See, he's not just writing these as we, we read these words. He's not just applying these words to the church in Philippi, to the audience of this letter. Now, we can read this today in 2018 and realize that through God's grace, we can have peace with God. Amen? You see, friends, you and I, by nature, are not at peace with God. And God, by nature, is not at peace with us. Now think about that for a moment. God is holy. God is righteous. God is good all the time. He is perfect in all of his ways. And yet, we have sinned against God. We have disobeyed him, gone against his orders, missed the mark in so many ways. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2 that we are by nature objects of God's wrath. I don't know about you, but that makes me a little uncomfortable to think that I am by nature, an object of God's wrath, the all-powerful God who can do anything, the one that spoke life into existence, the one that spoke you and I into existence, the one that causes all things in nature to happen, Paul writes the truth that you and I are by nature objects of God's wrath. Scripture says more than 600 times that God's wrath actually exists against you and I, which includes hell. Which if you think that that's a lie, realize this, Jesus spoke about hell more than anything else in His ministry. 
So when I think about by nature that I am, that you are an object of God's wrath, it makes, it, it of course makes me a bit anxious. It makes me check my life to make sure that I am right with God. But it also makes me all the more passionate to share the message of Jesus, the message of grace, the message that leads to peace in other people's lives. You see, by nature we are objects of God's wrath, but when we repent of our sin, Jesus Christ extends to us grace, which takes away our sins and grants us peace. There's no condemnation. There's only salvation. There's no anger. There's only love. Amen? I'll go on. We're to verse 3. I thank my God every time I remember you and all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with, what's the word there? Joy. Come on. Got to be convicting. Come on. Joy. Paul writes of joy and rejoicing throughout the letter of Philippians. Why? Because it's something that he actually experienced. It's something that he believed in. He believed that he could, through his letters, extend grace and extend love and extend the peace of Jesus Christ and show them, I am filled with joy and you can be too. But I wonder about Paul's life because Again, I come back to what I said in the beginning, and that is that Paul is a man that at this point in his life should be completely without joy. He should be completely hopeless. He should be in despair and depressed, just shut up in a jail cell without any hope of, of ever seeing these people again. He should be crying himself to sleep, this Paul. And yet, he's filled with joy. And he talks about rejoicing. Why is that? Well, let me tell you. It's because Paul realized what so many of us still struggle to realize, and that is that joy is not a feeling. Joy is not an emotion. Joy is a lifestyle. It's something to be lived. Joy is a lifestyle that at times includes sorrow. Joy is a lifestyle that sometimes includes grief and pain, and poverty, and despair, and loneliness, and death. But Paul believed that we could have joy even in the midst of these difficult times because joy is not something that, 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 that we can find, something that we can buy. It's not something that someone can take away from us. Joy is given to us by Jesus Christ. Joy is manifested through the Holy Spirit in us. Joy is not something that this world can take away unless we give it away. How can Paul write about this joy? Verse 5, he answers that. Because of your partnership in the gospel. Because of your partnership in the gospel. Let me say that again. Because of your partnership in the gospel. From the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ. Jesus. Paul writes about this partnership in the gospel. I said it earlier, gospel partnership. This is a relationship that stays focused around Jesus Christ and His commands. 
in the midst of life's difficulties and challenges, in the midst of loneliness and despair, in the midst of discouragement and even death, we can have joy. See, because a gospel partnership is friends repenting and forgiving one another. A gospel partnership is is spouses loving each other even in the midst of trials. A gospel partnership is following all, not some, but all of the examples and commands of Jesus Christ. He says in verse, writes in verse 7, It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. For whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Jesus Christ. See, in our relationships, we are called to repent and we are called to forgive with grace. I don't know who who the Holy Spirit's bringing to your mind right now that you need to forgive. I don't know who the Holy Spirit's bringing to your mind right now that you need to go to and repent of a sin against them. But I can guarantee this, that God is working in each and every one of our lives. And I can guarantee this, doesn't matter how how perfect you are, that there are relationships in your life or have been relationships in your life that have not been a gospel partnership as Jesus Christ declares they must be. These types of partnerships that Paul writes about. Get this, verse 9. This is my prayer, Paul writes, that your love may abound more and more. Increase all the more. Your love may abound all the more. More knowledge and more depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best so that you may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ. See, friends, that's what a gospel partnership looks like. It's prayerful intercession and loving concern for people. It's both love increasing and discernment creating. A gospel partnership increases, it expands our capacity to love one another. And let me just say, loving some people is difficult. Can I get an amen to that? Some people are not easy to love. You can take that to the bank. And yet that's the command that we're given Throughout, throughout Scripture. That's the command that Jesus repeats over and over. Your love for me will be shown by your love for one another. That's what Michael read to the kids this morning. It's not just something nice that we tell our children. It's something that we should wholeheartedly believe and do everything in our capacity to practice loving other people. I said it, it increases our ability to love It also increases discernment regarding who can be trusted. And the result of all of this is a lifestyle of righteousness. I know it's Mother's Day, but let me ask, men, how many of you want to be right in your relationship? Ooh, yeah, I want to be right all the time. What better way than to say I am righteous before God? If I'm righteous before God, then I know I'm righteous before my wife. Are you with me? 
So maybe if I check that box daily, maybe if I check that box every night, God, if I walk in righteousness with you, do I stand right before you? If not, God, convict me. If so, then I can sleep easy at night. If I roll over and I look at my wife and say, I'm right, you're wrong, guess what? Now I'm not righteous before God because I'm not honoring my wife. See, but I want to I be righteous in all that I do. How about you? That rhymed. It didn't mean to. Verse 11, Paul writes here, the last verse today, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. A lifestyle that is righteous in all that we do, all that we say, every thought that we think. A lifestyle that is producing the fruit of righteousness. See, I say we are a culture that struggles with loneliness because we are a people plagued by sin. And there's only one answer for our struggle. There's only one answer for our problem of loneliness in the world today, and that is through gospel partnerships. Partnerships built around the grace of God. Partnerships enjoying the peace of God. Partnerships centered on the love of Jesus Christ. Amen? Friends, let me ask you to do something for me. Just close your eyes. As you close your eyes, imagine the relationships that you share in today. Imagine the relationships that that God has blessed you with. As you close your eyes today, friends, imagine what your relationships could be as gospel partnerships. Imagine the way churches would flourish and grow if we focused on having gospel partnerships. Imagine the, the joy that would flow from your marriage if it truly were a gospel partnership. Imagine the the happiness that would fill your home if your family shared in a gospel partnership. And imagine how your strained relationships would be healed if you began a gospel partnership today. Holy Spirit, we come before you now. We want to honor you in all that we say, all that we do, which includes every relationship, every interaction that we have. Jesus, we want to extend grace. We want to experience peace. We want to shine with the love, Jesus, that you have first given to us in every relationship that we share in. So God, today, my prayer for your church is that you help us see, you help us understand what a gospel partnership truly looks like. Holy Spirit, my prayer for your church, is that as we walk out these doors, you help us to evaluate the various relationships that we share in. 
God, my prayer for your church is that throughout this week, you would convict us of any attitude, any action, any word, Jesus, that does not align with the grace and the love that you've called us to. Help us, Jesus, to love one another. And God, I pray today, once again, as we talk about loneliness as an epidemic, a problem in our culture today, Jesus, I pray today for anyone in our church family, God, that struggles with loneliness. God, I pray today that our church, Jesus, would continue to improve. Lord, let us not simply seek in the future to be a community that loves like you, a community that serves like you. But God, today, I pray that you would help us take that next step together and love one another with the love of Jesus Christ. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's stand.